0: Hello and welcome to Natasha Explains It All. Before getting into today's episode, just a couple of things about the podcast itself. Um, The um, Spotify has a, if you are listening to this on Spotify, Spotify has this very cool feature that you can leave a voice message for me um, with feedback or questions, um, and I do welcome that. Um, There should be a link at the bottom of each episode, um, as well as on the uh, podcast page itself. Um, There is also a tipping option now as well, so if you want to support the podcast, that's there. There is also a link um, to my Medium account where I do written pieces. Um, So again, um, there's a link to my Medium profile, where you can, um, if you'd like to read some of the things that I work on that is available there. Um, and finally, for those on Apple podcasts that have the, um, review system, if you leave a review or, you know, um, like put, click the number of stars that correspond to what you think. It's always really helpful too, um, because that allows more people to learn about the podcast. All right, enough of that. Now on to the actual content of today's podcast. Um, Today's podcast episode um, is about Tyree Nichols and internalized uh, racism. For those who may have not heard the name Tyree Nichols, Tyree Nichols was a young black man who was recently killed by police um, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was talking about this with a, with a relative of mine recently. And this relative made a comment that I've been seeing a lot, um, in the news and social media that he was commenting that, well, in this case, um, the main officers that were involved in Tyree Nichols um, murder were five black officers. There were white officers there as well. Um, um, but, there were five main black officers and this relative of mine was making this comment about how like, well, you know, this was obviously very heinous and horrible and he shouldn't have died, but at least we can, you know, this isn't another example of racism within policing. You know, these just must be bad apple cops who, you know, went off. And the point of this episode is to really challenge that narrative. Um, Just because um, you have a black cop doesn't mean that he isn't, he or she or they is not acting out of the same type of racism and racial bias that is inherent to policing. And I just want to give some examples and kind of unpack this a little bit. Um, Because it's important that we not see the killing of Tyree Nichols as this aberration that can be chalked up to these individual officers who just acted totally out of line, but really seeing it as part of a pattern and practice that is inherent to policing. It's It's such a common narrative every time the police kill somebody particularly when they kill a black person, that it's an individual issue, that it's this particular officer, that it was this particular circumstance. Um, but you know, one of the themes that I've talked about in many of my podcast episodes and will continue to talk about is that um, it's inherent to policing because policing in the United States is meant to be a tool of social control, particularly around racial control. And within this episode of Tyree Nichols, I want to look at a couple of things that can help us um, just dig a little bit deeper beyond this narrative that, well, just because you had black officers killing a black person, that must mean there there was no racism involved. One thing to consider is the actual punishment and reaction to the black officers versus the white officers versus any other um, police killings. And what I mean by that is that it is so, so, so rare for police to ever be, ever be held accountable on any level when they abuse the badge um, and in the most extreme cases, kill people. But anything short of that as well, they sexually assault someone, uh, they plant drugs on someone, um, they beat someone, they disable someone, um, which are all things that happen. Very commonly. Um, and in this case, we had expeditious, I mean, very quick response to for these black, the five black officers were fired and charged with very serious criminal offenses, including second degree murder. And um, having those type of charges brought against any police officer much less within weeks of a killing is so rare and the names of those black officers and their photos were published on you know in in the news and in various outlets within weeks of tyree's killing and yet In comparison, there's at least one white officer that was also involved in killing Tyree Nichols, and his name and his photo were kept kept secret for much, much longer. And as of the time that I'm recording this episode, he has not been charged. He has been fired uh, following public outrage But um, there haven't been any other uh, haven't been any other consequences. And so that in of itself is something to chew on of why is the race of the officer relevant to how quickly and how intensely the accountability measures are um and you know my thesis here is is that it's just another symptom of how um racism is a is a purpose behind policing in the united states and even for those officers who are themselves black they are perpetuating the same narrative and then when the black officers get caught they are likely as we're seeing in this example to be punished more severely and more swiftly than their white counterparts for the exact same reason. Um, And this, um, the, the concept of internalized racism, um, just means that, you know, whoever is the target of the racism may harbor some of those same beliefs they may um have some of the same prejudices as um about themselves and about their own their own group um that the that the uh, uh, oppressor the person who uh, to whom um, the racism advantages um believes in and we can see parallels with this in other areas so for example with sexism right i mean there are many women who also hold sexist beliefs and misogynistic beliefs. You don't have to have a man present for women to perpetuate patriarchy, right? Um, There's so many examples of this, right? We have like the concept of slut shaming, right? Women um criticizing other women for expressing their sexuality and that any type of any type of display of sexuality must then put the woman in the category of a slut, meaning that she is immoral and you know she's not a good quote good woman. And women perpetuate that um as well as men. And then the same um you know the the concept of victim blaming, right? The of of of, of blaming women for why they are assaulted or raped um or otherwise mistreated there are women who perpetuate those narratives um, as well as men right Uh, you can be a woman and perpetuate the patriarchy in the same way that you can be a black person and perpetuate white supremacy and the concept of if this still isn't quite making sense Let me give you an example of how this really influenced um, American law and American culture. So the concept of internalized racism was decisive, absolutely decisive to the decision of Brown v. Board, Brown v. Board of Education, which was a 1954 Supreme Court case that said that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. And it was a watershed case that led to the dismantling of racial segregation in various aspects of public life. Um, because you know, at that time, everything was segregated restaurants, swimming pools, water fountains, trains, buses, you name it. Um, and, um, The Brown v. Board of Education was a unanimous opinion, meaning that all the justices, all nine justices voted, um, uh, voted uh, together, voted the same to find that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. And one of the data points that was so decisive for the justices was a study about internalized racism. They had done a study, with young children, young black and white children, and it was—I um, think it was mostly girls or all girls. But in the study, and you can you can research this um, if you look up Brown v. Board of Education doll study. And in this study, the, the 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 black kids and the white kids were given dolls to play with, and the dolls were white and black. And the researchers like observed the children and how they interacted with the dolls. And I think they also asked them questions about like what dolls they would prefer to play with. And the researchers expected that the white children would prefer the white dolls because they would identify, you know, with the white dolls, it would seem more familiar to them. But what they found as well is that even the black children preferred the white dolls. The black children didn't want to play with the black dolls and they asked the children why. And the children, you know, spoke about how they thought that the white dolls were prettier, that the white dolls were nicer, um, that the white dolls were better because those black children had internalized the racism that was so virulent around them. They had grown up in an environment that told them that black was bad and that black was ugly and that black was less deserving. And so those children had internalized the very racism of the white people around them, so much so that they didn't wanna play with the black dolls. They wanted to play with the white dolls. They thought the black dolls were bad. And so this really helped the justices understand the potency of racism and how it can be internalized, that those Um, stereotypes and those harmful, harmful notions inherent to racism can be absorbed and perpetuated by the very targets of that racism. And that led the Supreme Court to decide that racial segregation in public schools was a no go because they realized that as long as they kept students segregated, that was going to perpetuate this message that was going to be absorbed, not just by white students, but also by black students. That they were not deserving that they were not as smart they were not as good that they were not as nice that they were not as um you know beautiful all the things all the all the attributes that have been ascribed to white people at the cost of black people were being internalized um, by black children and black students and so if we fast forward to the present circumstance in this killing of tyree nichols it's that same mentality the the entire the um the um the entire structure of policing is designed to perpetuate this notion that those who are uh, not of the ruling class, and those who are white and generally moneyed, um, are deserving, and those who aren't are are not deserving. And it's okay then for us to literally beat someone to death. And again, someone might respond to that and say, well, whoa, 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 like, this is an out of the ordinary thing. No one is saying that, you know, that this was appropriate. He should not have been killed. These police um, acted in a heinous manner. And, uh, you know, we're not, no one's saying that this was a good thing. But the thing is, is that if we truly believe that this was unacceptable, if we truly believed we meaning like collectively and also the ruling class in the United States, the white society, if we truly believe that that was unacceptable, we would be doing much, much more to limit the power of policing because the reality is, is that Tyree Nichols is simply the latest case of something that has been going on ever since policing has existed in the United States. And again, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, I think this is episode three around prison gerrymandering um, and uh, felony disenfranchisement, that the modern policing system in the United States was created after the abolition of slavery. And it was created out of slave catchers. It was created out of um, bands of white people who would go after people who um, had run away or attempted to escape from slavery and would go and find them and bring them back um, to their their masters. And that policing <laughs> is what created the modern policing system. Those origins are very much tied into how things still operate today. And if that seems a lot to swallow, we'll unpack it over several episodes. But But also think about the fact, if it wasn't that case, why would this still be happening you know in 2021 as well as in 2022 police killed over a thousand people in each year okay in each year in 2021 and 2022 there were over a thousand killings by police by shootings um there are only 365 days in the year so doing the math of how frequently the police kill people and the disproportionate number of those that are Black people. Um, It's so, so, so hard for police to be held accountable for any any type of abuse. Um, For many reasons, that could be its own series, but just to touch on a couple. One, you have the concept of qualified immunity, which is a legal concept that has been interpreted so broadly that basically it's, it's, it's near impossible to hold a police officer accountable for breaking the law. So even if he, even if like it it is fact that that officer broke the law, um, it is really, really hard to sue that officer and get any type of accountability because of qualified immunity. They are basically immune, um, from prosecution. There are also police unions are very strong and have built in incentives to keep officers from reporting each other. Um, And there's many instances of where you have had police officers who've been whistleblowers who have tried to speak out, and they're the ones that end up getting fired. They're the ones that end up getting targeted. It doesn't promote people, uh, it doesn't promote um, transparency. Um, and then there are also laws like in the state of New York, for example, I don't know if New York has updated its law, but New York at least had a law that made it very, very difficult for you to be able to access disciplinary records of police officers. So even if this police officer had, you know, had cases of excessive force, um, had abused people in custody, had, you know, done other things, you couldn't access that information. Um, And so that puts the public in danger that someone like that should not have a badge and a gun if they've abused that power. And relatedly, there's no like national prohibition um, on officers who have been fired for misconduct from being rehired by other police departments. And so that happens a lot as well. The officer gets fired because of misconduct, And then he just gets hired by another police department and just the cycle repeats itself, right? The firing is not enough if he's going to, if, if that officer is going to, is going to be allowed to continue the same behavior in another department. So anyway, all of that is to say with so many things that make it difficult for police officers to ever be held accountable, it's worth noting that in this case, the black officers, were fired and criminally charged with various counts, including second degree murder, within weeks of this death. As compared to the white officer, at least white one white officer, who as of the time of this recording hasn't faced any charges. And we can look at other recent examples, Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, there's so many others. But those officers, the main officers, being white officers, they, I mean, nothing, nothing happened to them for such a long time. And there's so many instances where if anything happens, the final result is simply that, you know, that they found that the use of force was justified. Um, So, I want to give some more examples to make this uh to make this a little bit more concrete about this concept of internalized racism it's kind of going along the same thread of this doll study and younger people in a prior role i worked as a defense attorney a juvenile defense attorney in washington dc and the washington dc juvenile justice system is an extreme example of the racism inherent um in all of our court systems, in D.C., in both the juvenile jail, in the juvenile prison, in juvenile court, it's only black and brown kids, and has been that way for—I don't know if ever, but certainly for many decades. Um, police don't don't arrest white kids in D.C., um, and they don't get charges brought against them, and um, the 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 vast majority of the staff who work in the juvenile justice system in D.C. are also um, black, um, meaning like the director of the juvenile justice agency, other high level staff, caseworkers, the guards at the jail and the prison. Lots of people within the juvenile justice ecosystem were also black. And as a white person, I observed this and was very confused and didn't understand how it is that this was acceptable and what I mean by this is that why was it acceptable that being poor and black in DC meant that touching the system was inevitable why was it acceptable that these children had to be surveilled that they had to be incarcerated, that they don't deserve to be free and to be invested in and be provided the resources that their white peers in DC experience. And, um, and I realized that the result of this was the reason for this was internalized racism. That the reason was, is that like, everyone is just kind of accepted that this is okay, you know? that it's okay that black kids, that this is this is good enough for our poor black kids, that we can't offer them something better because I would seriously raise the question if if white kids started to be incarcerated in DC, what would things change, right? Would conditions improve? Because the assumption is, well, white kids don't deserve this. And I wanna put in the caveat, there's many white kids that are incarcerated throughout the country. Um, and I, I I, the other episode about juvenile incarceration period, which I I don't agree with. Um, and so that's not, my point is not to say that white kids are never incarcerated. My point is, is that when you have an example like Washington DC, where there are no white kids ever incarcerated it, that is because, um, at least in part, because of internalized racism, this idea that like, well, this is something that black kids deserve. And it's normal. And that is a result of internalized racism. You know, here's a crazy example from my time doing that line of work. I remember I was once at a, like, um, a public meeting. Um, there were various government officials there, including the head of the juvenile justice agency, um, and other people related to the juvenile justice world. And they had bused in a group of kids from the juvenile prison to do a performance and these kids did a dance performance and as part of the dance performance they did this choreographed routine to um a song by Beyonce i think the name of the song is freedom <laughs> ironically enough and like everyone was applauding them and were just like so impressed with their performance and you know it was just like lauding these children's you know these young people their teenagers their 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 skills and yet like literally they went from that performance back to the prison to go live in cells and it's like the cognitive dissonance is so strong like okay so you believe that these children these young people are like socially appropriate enough to be able to like, come to this public gathering with lots of public officials and do this performance, which would be very normal for high school, you know, for high schoolers. And they're, (laughs) they're dancing to a song about called freedom and talking like very self-aware of the oppression that they're experiencing. And then it's like, well, yeah, like we, but, but it's nice to look at, but actually you need to go back to your cell. Like we don't actually trust you um, to be in the community. We don't actually trust you to be home. And we are not going to invest the resources for you to be able to live like a normal teenager. Instead, instead we're going to bus you over for this faux experience and then send you right back to the prison. And again, that like stems from this internalized racism that like that's that that's okay that that's good enough. that's good enough for um, for these kids. And someone might say, well maybe it wasn't it wasn't within the authority of the people in that room to decide whether they're out or not. Not true because the kids this particular population of kids that were there um, are what are called committed, meaning that they're basically wards. Of the district. And the juvenile justice agency has the decision, can make the decision about where they're housed. It's more complicated than that. Um, but for the sake of brevity, like they could definitely decide to have those kids be in the community rather than be incarcerated. And, um, you know, people there would certainly dispute about <sighs> whether this counts as a prison. Um, but it absolutely is. It is a locked facility. The kids sleep in cells. They have to wear uniforms. They uh, their families are only allowed to visit during certain times, and like physical interaction is limited. Like, <laughs> if you were to go, you would understand. It is a prison. It's not actually even in D.C. It's in Maryland. You have to drive out to it. Anyway, I'm starting to go off. Um, I um, wanna wrap up here. Um, There's still so much to say, but Tyree Nichols' murder by police in Memphis, Tennessee is an example of of the consequence of internalized racism, It is a consequence of policing in America. And we can look to other examples of internalized racism, like those looked at by the Supreme Court in Brown v. Board of Education to really understand how damaging white supremacy is, that it is so powerful that it can be perpetuated even in the absence of an actual white person being the like actual perpetrator, you know, the person doing it in the same way that you don't actually need a man to be the one doing the action, to being the perpetrator for patriarchy to be perpetuated by those who are not men. Um and so I hope that if you are having conversations with people about Tyree Nichols. I hope that you will think about, um, just have a little bit more nuance to the conversation that just because there were black officers, that doesn't mean that there wasn't racism involved. And look at how the black officers versus the white officers involved, how they've been treated so far, as an example of of how this is another, uh, it's actually an example of internalized racism. So much more to say there, um, but I will uh, leave it at that. Um, And just to say that um, all people are deserving um, of safety Um, and internalized racism perpetuates the idea that some people, particularly black people are not deserving of safety. They're not deserving of freedom. And it's up to us to challenge that All right. That's enough for today. Thanks for listening and see you next time.